Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I want to welcome back to the program Congressman Patrick McHenry, uh, fresh off of a couple of trips, apparently, to Chipotle, I saw. Uh, <laughs> what was So what was that story about that... Uh, you, is that is that like where the negotiations were occurring? Is that where the the, the brainstorming was happening at Chipotle? Uh, no, it was one trip, and the press made it into a big okay. Deal. Um, <laughs> but but a man has to eat, you know. That's true. Uh, I don't think I don't think my uh, digestive tract could hold up with uh, a daily Chipotle visit, though. unless you use it as some part of the negotiating tactics, right? If you feed everybody. A steady diet of I'm just kidding. I like Chipotle. It's fine. It's not like you know. It's not like it was Taco Bell or something. That's no. I kid. I like Taco Bell too. I kid. Um, all right. So yeah. Uh, so I thought you were not uh, doing any more leadership type stuff. I thought you were uh, you were out. But what they they dragged you back in. You just can't get out. Once you're in, you're in. It, it uh, yep. That is uh, from Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> seems, seems to be my life this year. Uh, no, I I. I got called in to the negotiations, and uh, my position is if I can try to make things better, I, I want to participate. Um, and that may not be personally easy or good, but um, I want to make things better, and that's what I'm trying to do. Move conservative policy, as much conservative policy as I can, and as conservative as I can. And in Washington right now, it, it's a, as hard as it's ever been. So, all right, and I recognize, uh, I, I know the criticisms that are out there, and I, I can ask you to address some of them. I will ask you to address some of them. But I also recognize that uh, you, the, the Republicans only control the House, and barely so. Um, so anything that you were negotiating was going to have to clear the Senate and the White House as well. And on this debt ceiling deal— um, my read on it from the outside, and maybe I'm completely off base, please let me know if I am, but it seems to me like Democrats believe they have the leverage if there's any kind of a shutdown or chance of default, they believe they've got the leverage virtually all the time that the Republicans will take the blame for it. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Okay. And and I, I think um, a government shutdown and default are two dramatically different things. Uh, not that a government shutdown is a, is a trifling thing, uh, but default is far more cataclysmic mm-hmm. uh, to our economy and has uh, you know, pretty severe effects for anybody who has any savings uh, or wants uh, price stability and, and wants to fight inflation. It's, it's a really, really bad thing. Um, so they thought they had leverage here, and that's the reason why uh, Biden, President Biden listened to Senator Schumer and uh, followed really bad strategy. They refused to negotiate for 97 days until House Republicans actually passed a plan to raise the debt ceiling. And it was a, a very conservative bill. Um, and, uh, and that was uh, the established menu that we told the White House to, to, uh, to work from. If they wanted to negotiate with us, the fact that we had passed a bill, the Senate Democrats couldn't pass a bill, either clean or some altered version of raising the debt ceiling. And so we negotiated from that 
um, from that uh, basis, um, knowing that uh, you know you did have a Democrat Senate, you have a Democrat president, and uh, and we've got a very narrow majority in the House and a lot of pressure. Um, you know, if we got to the the X date when when the debt ceiling expires um, and we're not able to pay bills, then um, then we thought things would get a whole lot worse for us after that date. Uh, and and would get less of a of a deal as a result. So what what of the criticism that there is now essentially no debt ceiling that they that spending can just continue until into twenty twenty five? Yes, January first, twenty twenty five is when this debt ceiling uh, uh, increase ends. That is uh, just over uh, it's eighteen months from now. Uh, so we got policies and fiscal restraint attached to an 18-month-long debt ceiling increase. The reason why it's a substantial amount of money connected with that uh, debt ceiling increase is because the federal government spends way too much. Uh, And this administration has has been on a spending spree over the last two years. By electing House Republicans, we at least stopped that. And by passing this bill, we actually cut spending year over year for the first time in quite quite a while. Uh, that's happened one time in the last uh, 60 years um, that that's happened. Now it'll be a second time. Um, but we have fiscal restraint because we can enforce fiscal restraint because we have House Republicans, at the very least, say no. But if but didn't we aren't we installing a six trillion dollar baseline now? That's that's way Above, I mean, we're locking, this is the criticism from the Freedom Caucus, right, where they're saying you've locked in the COVID pandemic spending levels. And that is not the case. Uh, we raise defense spending. It's a dangerous world. And defense spending is up on, under this agreement and would not have been up otherwise. And for non-veterans and non-defense, we actually return spending back to what it was three and a half years ago. Um, is it as much as I want? No, but it takes it down substantially and will force upon that uh, non-defense, non-veteran spending. It's going to have something like a 15% cut year over year. Is that enough? No, not from my point of view. But I had to negotiate uh, with the Democrat president who actually wants to increase spending. It's, it is $105 billion less which is just over 20% less than what Biden wanted to spend this year. So is it better than doing nothing? Yes. Is it substantially better? I believe so. Is it all that I wanted? Absolutely, fundamentally, no. But I wanted to make things better, and um, the only way to do that is to engage and get uh, a, a, an agreement that could be enacted into law. I could go make a great point by just spending my time um, uh, pontificating, but I got into the, the nitty gritty and the, the, the muck and the mire of negotiating so we can try to make things better. Uh, but we got to come back for more, and that's why we need conservative governance to pair spending uh, in, a, in a bigger way, unlike what Republicans have been able to do uh, in nearly, uh, uh, well, in, in quite, a, quite, a, quite a long time. Part of this also uh, is aiming at incentivizing, right, the appropriations bills to get done. Is that actually going to happen? Is that is that a step towards regular order? 
It is. And look, the, the, the fact is when you have the appropriations process get jammed up, so instead of doing 12 individual bills, you do one big bill. All that does is empower the leadership of the House and the Senate and the White House to go cut a deal. And every time those deals have been cut, it's been horrible. It's been a bad outcome. Um, and the alternative is a government shutdown at Christmas time, mm-hmm. right? So they try to leverage this in every way. And what the speaker said is, we're not going to do an omnibus. I, I, I will reject an omnibus. So you have to actually make this process work. And if the pro- process doesn't work, we cut their social spending programs and defense gets cut. So it's a motivation for both parties to come to the table and try to function as best we can in a Washington and hasn't really functioned in, in quite a while. All right. One of the other criticisms I heard is on the uh, on the SNAP changes, this work requirement. It changed like what is just like it, it increased the age, but like three or four years. Uh, but then it also uh, gave exemptions. Medicaid has uh, exemptions as well. So it really and the OMB came back and said, no, nah, it's like in my view, it's basically a wash. So like what? Why was that touted as some sort of big win? Do you see it as a big win? It is a it is a step in the right direction. The exemptions we have, uh, we have, uh, uh, we know that states have already exempted these populations of veterans and homeless people and folks right out of foster care, uh, and so we team those exemptions up with the rise in uh, work requirements for an additional age age group. Uh, but what we bank permanently is a reduction in how much the states can exempt from work requirements. Currently, they can exempt 12% of their population from work requirements, and there's provision of law so they can roll those populations over. So what states have done is use this, a state like New York, has used this to, in essence, get pretty close to 100% of their population exempt from work requirements. We change permanently in law that exemption from 12% of the population down to 8%, they could be exempted from work requirements, and stop rollovers. So that, over time, will have substantial savings that the CBO did not appropriately score and give us any credit for that type of substantial savings that I know will have a, a positive impact and reduce gamesmanship at the, at the state level. Uh, and before I let you go, I noticed you were wearing the bow tie. Um, but I also have noticed a trend, I think, among uh, a lot of your colleagues, uh, and maybe even you as well. Are, are they ditching the ties in D.C.? Are people? Are, is that like a thing now? No one's wearing ties anymore? Well, no, we're, we're, we're there. But the fact that you know, I'm, there, um, I'm there on uh, federal holidays and working through the weekend, I decided I'm not going to put on a, a tie. Okay. I've got to be locked in a, in a room uh, over a holiday weekend. Uh, and we've got subtle forms of protesting, um, and <laughs> that might have been one of them. No, well, look, Pete, if I can say one final thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. If people look at this agreement and think it's disappointing, uh, I'm sorry they're disappointed, and I'm disappointed. I am disappointed. We don't have a Republican president or Republican Senate in order to enact the necessary changes that that I think are worth fighting for. That we need fundamental conservative fiscal outcomes and people elected committed to do that and so i'm i'm disappointed 
that we don't have the support necessary to get our policy through. But I'm going to go back and fight for more. I'm going to fight for more every day I possibly can for more conservative outcomes. And um, and, and I'm going to fight fight like hell to make sure that happens. Well, I remember we talked about this, right, that you could be a bomb thrower or you can get stuff done. And uh, they both have their place. But if, you know, getting stuff done is just it's a different approach. So uh, and and I recognize that, uh, but I also I, and my question on the ties, like I think it's I think it's legit because it's I, I've noticed this trend where we're we're taking our ties off. Every every everyone is all across the board. I think it's like I think it's a power move. I think it's like I'm powerful now. I don't need to wear a tie. I think everything's flipping inverse on that. Just something to keep an eye on. Just something to keep an eye well, on. Well, look, uh, my bow tie is its own <laughs> sort of protest. <laughs> Uh, it is not visually uh, enticing for a lot of people that have to look at me, uh, but you know I'm okay with that. Well, that's fine. That's how you. That's how you. Uh, you sneak by. That's, uh, that's yeah. You're you're hiding in plain sight. There you go. All right, uh, Congressman uh, Patrick. Guys, it's easy to hide. Yeah. There. Okay. <laughs> you Patrick McHenry. I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Pete. All right. Take care. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? All right. right. So yesterday I spoke with Dan Bishop, and today I spoke with Patrick McHenry. They were on opposite sides of this debt ceiling issue. And hopefully you heard, uh, uh, hopefully you heard like the way I interviewed one is the way I interviewed the other. I've known them both going on like 20 years now. So we have a collegial relationship, I'd like to think, Um, which is, you know, it's one of the, all right. So peek behind the curtain, my interview technique here is I I win them over with humor and kindness. That's all just an act, people. <laughs> uh, no, the point here is that uh, I can ask questions and do it in a way that doesn't and you know create a fight. Now, sometimes people are interested in having a fight, and that you can definitely do that. You do that enough, though, and nobody wants to ever come on your show. But the and and to that point. This was one of the uh, topics of conversation that I spent uh, a couple of years ago, uh, spent a good bit of time talking with with Congressman McHenry about uh, on the podcast about the different kinds of approaches that members of Congress take when they are doing the work. And <clears throat> there's um, McHenry, when he first got to D.C., he was a bomb thrower. And he will tell you that he he was a, more of an attack dog. He was one of Tom Delay's guys, and there is a there is a role for for those types of uh, I don't say characters. It's not a pejorative. There's a role for that kind of uh, tactic, right? You need the bomb throwers. You need the attack dogs. You need those people in your camp as well, because when then you are because they they make things difficult. For the opposition, right? But they also keep the party that they're in 
on track, right? But they also, it could look what, and this is a good example of it. The debt ceiling is a perfect example of it. And I said this yesterday, I believe, that everybody, like you got the, you got people that were cleared to vote yes or no, right? And on the, on the right, you had people in the House Freedom Caucus. They could vote no because the thing would still pass. And on the Democrat side, you had progressives that didn't want to vote for it. And they got the luxury of voting no because there were enough yes votes from Democrats. And you can find that to be unsavory. You don't like that. That's not, you know, that, it, that the deal was bad. But I would submit the deal was bad because you're negotiating with two of the three bodies here are Democrats. And that's why the deal is going to be more bad than good, in my opinion, and in McHenry's opinion. And so he changed the way he deals with his colleagues, and that has allowed him to be more effective, he would argue. So, And that's why he was, he was part of the whip team, right? When Steve Scalise got shot, McHenry picked up a lot of that load and uh, you know, to, to get people's votes and stuff. So he's got a lot of relationships with a lot of these lawmakers— and he's, you know, he tries to find the best deals that he can get. That's part of politics. And as I always say, if you don't like politics, shrink the size of government. Because that's what, that's what government is. <laughs> All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouches is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouches. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. All right, I saw this story. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I saw it, and I just I thought I would bring it to your attention. Um, a couple things, because like yesterday, uh, right at the beginning of the third hour, uh, we saw uh, the president fall. Got sandbagged, is what he called it. Sandbagged because some sandbag, he said, that, well, th- this is the story. No, I couldn't see it from the video, but apparently there was a black sandbag on the stage. I don't know. Why has it got to be a black sandbag? I don't know. But it was a black sandbag. It was on the stage, and it apparently rolled over and just took out the president. I don't know where Secret Service was at the time, why they didn't identify this as a threat, but they didn't. I don't know why you would have a sandbag of any color, really, on the stage while the president is standing there, and I don't know why you would have the president at his age, standing next to the sandbag where he could then trip over it, given his history of tripping over things already. I mean, not history that's, that's, that's long enough, uh, you know, where he would be mocked by Saturday Night Live or anything. I mean, not, come on, it's not like he's, like, fallen, getting off a plane or getting on a chopper or anything like that, right? Right, because if that happened, then maybe Saturday Night Live would be, you know, would be caricaturing him as a, as a klutz, like Gerald Ford. So, um, yeah, I mean, he was a total klutz, being a collegiate athlete and all. Anyway, uh, so that that happened yesterday, and um, President Trump, former President Trump, was in Iowa, and 
he said that he previously reached out to Sean Hannity to suggest to Hannity that he stop joking about President Biden's cognitive abilities. I find this odd. <laughs> Why? I mean, I know the two talk, right? We, we, we found that out years ago that, like, during the presidency, every single night after Hannity's show on Fox News, uh, you know, they would, they, would, they would talk. And I don't understand, though, why you would be calling Hannity to tell him what he should or shouldn't be joking about and what he should or shouldn't be talking about, particularly when it comes to President Biden's cognitive abilities. Why do you care, first of all? Second of all, you're not the boss of me, right? You're like, if my boss tells me stop joking about something, then okay, you know, he could fire me, but Trump telling him to stop, I don't know. It's just weird. I just find that to be weird. Trump participated in a town hall event with Hannity in Iowa, where the two spoke at length about Biden's fall earlier in the day at the Air Force Academy commencement ceremony, which, by the way, that is always uh, this is further proof that I swear they've, they are juicing the presidents. I'm thinking the and not just this one, like all of them, ever since they had the ability to jam an IV into a president's arm and pump them full of like vitamins and electrolytes and stuff. You can't tell me they're not doing that. Come on. Of course they are. These guys, I bet it gives them the gray hair. I bet that's why they get the gray hair so soon um, or so rapidly. There's, there's no way these guys keep up the schedule. Look, I'm running on five hours of sleep today, and, and I feel it. And these guys are traveling all over the world, running on like two hours of sleep. I don't know how they do it. I really, I don't know how they do it. So Trump said it was in a, oh, the, oh so the Air Force Academy. So Biden is standing on that stage. Now, I attended the Citadel graduation years and years ago. I've been to a West Point graduation as well. And, and the people that they bring up to speak, and in this case, the president, when I, when I was at the Citadel graduation, it was Ronald Reagan was their commencement speaker. And he stood there, Reagan stood there. And at this point, this would have been like 93, I want to say. And he stood there and shook every one of their hands after giving a speech where he had the greatest line, <laughs> he, is, he was saying, I hear, at the time it was Bill Clinton, he says, I hear Bill Clinton, no, our, no, yeah, was it 93? Yeah, it would have been 93. Right, because then uh, Clinton was in office, and Clinton was talking about, I guess at this point, that it was the peace dividend, we defeated the Soviet Union, and Reagan said, I keep hearing them say, we defeated the Soviet Union. And I just keep asking myself, who's this we that they're talking about? <laughs> so it's a joke, people. But yeah, so they stand up on that stage and they shake everybody's hand that comes across the stage. And for someone who is, you know, as old as Reagan at that time in 93 and as old as Biden today, that's a that's that's a lot. There's, you know, hundreds of these grads coming across the stage and they're reading all the names and it takes a long time and you're standing for a long time. So I get it. I do. Like, I get it. And when they try to pick Biden up and help him to his feet, you can tell 
He's 80 years old. He, his muscles are not what they used to be, and he had a difficult time lifting himself up from his legs. You could tell. And I don't mean that to be mean or anything. Um, Trump said it was a bad fall but would not go any farther, so he didn't take any of the bait, I guess, that Hannity was trying to dangle in front of him to go after uh, to go after Biden. And he says, oh, I asked Sean not to joke about it. I said, honestly, I don't think it looks good for you or for anybody to joke about it. Uh, you could speak about it if you want, but I don't think you should joke about it. That's what Trump added. So I don't know. Did Hannity, is he going to change what he talks about now? I don't know. He fell on the stage, though. Biden fell on Thursday. Um, and then he pointed to the a sandbag that was on the stage. And then later on, when he got back to the White House and he was getting out of the chopper and he's walking across the grass. He did a bit of a skip. He did, I, like, I was expecting a jog at some point, but maybe they thought too soon. You know, like, eh, it's too soon. A little obvious there. So he just did this kind of, like, uh, like a like three or four skip steps or something, like this kind of, uh, this exaggerated walk, just for, like, two or three paces, nothing big. But he also, he also said, I got sandbagged. Why is there a sandbag on the stage in the first place? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Hey, real quick. It is estimated that more than 6 million Americans have Alzheimer's. It affected my family. My grandpa had it. New research and treatments are showing promise, but there's still a long way to go. So can you help me by supporting the Alzheimer's Association's Western Carolina chapter? The Family Dance Party Charlotte's on June 10th from 1 o'clock until 5 o'clock. It's at the Roxbury Nightclub in Uptown Charlotte. Go to Mix1079.com and get tickets and come bust a move on the dance floor or donate tickets to a family that's battling the disease. The Family Dance Party is presented by Jameson Realty. Again, if you can help us out, I appreciate it. Go to Mix1079.com and thank you for considering the request. Look, I've never run a political campaign. I have no idea what I'm talking about on that. So take this advice for whatever it's worth, okay? Do not define your campaign based on what the other guy is doing, and then you just do the opposite. Not a good strategy. Just pick something else. That's especially true in, in a Republican primary, where apparently whatever DeSantis says, the Trump rapid response folks are just coming out with the opposite position. And it's creating some problems because now you're in conflict with yourself as well. Because some of the things DeSantis is saying is stuff that Trump said as well. But the rapid response influencers on social media are saying, uh-uh. And it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. But Trump said, well, in, in some cases, it's not even just the influencers. In some cases, it's Trump himself. He, uh, like, for example, he raised eyebrows in Iowa yesterday when he told voters that he does not like using the term woke. He's, he doesn't. He doesn't like the term. He says, I don't like the term woke because I hear the term woke, woke, woke. I don't, wait, I don't. So when when he hears the term woke, I hear the term woke, woke, woke. Well, I wouldn't like it either then. That makes sense. Right. If I hear a word and every time I hear the word, I hear it three times, that would get annoying. But that might be signs of a neurological problem. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's just the way he, st- <laughs> it's just the way he talks. He says, I, I don't like the term woke because when I hear when I hear the term woke, 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 it's just a term that they use. Half the people can't define it. They don't know what it is. This is what he was talking about in the midst of an attack on gender affirming care for youths. 
So he's he's going after, quote, gender-affirming care. This is a piece, by the way, a quote from Axios.com. So like, they're framing it as an attack on gender-affirming care. But this is going to cause a bit of a problem because he says he doesn't like to use the word woke. But he just used the word woke on Sunday on social media to attack Disney. And then today, he said the military wants to go woke. So I, so he doesn't like the term woke, but he uses the term woke. Oh, and also 85% of likely Republican voters in a recent CBS poll say they want a presidential nominee who challenges woke ideas. 85% of likely Republican voters. And that is the cohort you're looking for, by the way, likely Republican voters. 85%. Their top issue out of any option polled. What do you think happens now? So Trump doesn't like the term woke, but he uses it, but he doesn't like it. So which is it? I know I'm taking him literally not seriously. My apologies. But I like, what do I make of this information? What am I supposed to do with this information? Trump's reflexive efforts to separate, because by the way, I do believe that you need a president that pushes back on woke, on the culture wars. We absolutely need somebody to use their position to argue in defense of truth because they also then create policies. And Trump was good on that when he was in office. This is why it was kind of weird that he said that because when he was in office, he was, he was pretty good on the, on these issues. Right? So I don't understand. I guess it's, is it, is it a reflexive? Yeah. It's like, it's this automatic knee jerk response to separate himself from his opponent, DeSantis. And so it creates the, the this, this disconnect and these kind of head-scratching statements like where he was praising New York Governor Andrew Cuomo for the way he handled the pandemic, saying he handled it better than DeSantis did. But during the pandemic, he was touting DeSantis. So... Yeah, it's already it's on. Yeah, it's already <laughs> underway. Um, what else? We oh, I heard the story Brandon Dixon did uh, uh, in the newscast there about the uh, the AI drone, the murder drone. Have you heard this story? I mean, it was just a simulation, but it was a simulation of an AI controlled murder drone. Spoiler alert: it started murdering people. All right. We'll get into the details on that because it's kind of just a little bit utterly terrifying. All right. Stick around. News is next.